everyone. We'll go ahead and pray and get started here. And so good to see y'all in the house of the Lord today. So it's good to be able to be here and to praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a merciful God. We thank you that you are a forgiving God. We thank you that you are a holy God. We thank you, Father God, for who you are. We thank you that you brought us into a relationship with you and all that that means. And Father, I just pray that you would be magnified in this place today, that you would grant us as your servants, broken and imperfect, that we might be anointed to teach your word, all of those in the various classes, that your word will go forth with power and in might under the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God, that your people will be blessed and fed through the word of the Lord this morning. I pray that you will draw us in to worship as we enter the, the main service, that your name would be lifted high, that your anointing would be felt even in the worship time, that you would anoint our pastor to deliver the word with power and authority, and that you will have your way in this service. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God. All right. Well, I want to pick up from what we talked about last week, and uh, it, it appears that some of you weren't here last week, so I'd like to go back and just do a little bit of a review. Um, and I did want to mention to you that I will be um, gone for the next couple of Sundays, but I do have wonderful subs that will be um, giving the word of the Lord, and so I know that God's going to bless that, and you're going to be blessed tremendously. So there will still be class, and I'll be back um, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. But last week I started uh, a series that I wanted to try to wrap up today and go over a couple of quick lessons for you and, uh, and deliver to you an understanding about how we need to relate the Old Testament and the New Testament together. And I've titled this, The Cross is the Filter. And I believe that to be true. The cross is the filter. So I want us to understand that and pick up from last week. First of all, last week I brought a puzzle box, and I was talking about how the Bible is like a puzzle, and the pieces that need to fit together to make the picture are strewn all throughout the box. And so we can look at the Old Testament as if the Old Testament is that box with all the puzzle pieces in it. Because when Jesus was talking with the two on the road to Emmaus, the scriptures tell us that he began with Moses and held a Bible study, starting with Genesis, and went all the way through the prophets. And what did he teach them? He taught them about himself. In the Old Testament, all the pieces needed to understand the Lord and his plan and who he is and what he is doing is found strewn throughout the Old Testament. And the New Testament is where they all come together and we understand them and we have the picture on the box. And so it's all one book and it's all connected. So we talked about that. We saw also the importance of all of Scripture. If you'll remember, every single time in the New Testament, that the apostles and Christ himself referred to the scriptures 
or quoted from the scriptures or referred to, say, Daniel or Isaiah or Moses or David. It all goes back to what? The Old Testament. So it's very important that we understand that. Two-thirds of the Bible, pretty much, is either the Old Testament or quotes or references to it. Remember, I brought the chart last week. I have it right here. And, and I w- went through and I talked to you about how, many, how much of a percentage is in every single book in the New Testament that refers back to the Old Testament. Just for an example, if you'll remember, we talked about, say, for instance, in Matthew, 31% of Matthew is either Old Testament or a reference to the Old Testament in some fashion. Romans, 35%. 1 Corinthians, 26%. Ephesians, that beloved small book, 30%. 2 Thessalonians, 34%. Hebrews, 69%. 1 Peter, 69%. Jude has, what, 25 verses, I think? 68% of 25 verses. Revelation, 150% of what's found in Revelation. Out of 404 verses, there's 605 references or in some fashion a quote or something that takes us back to the Old Testament. And it came up, and the average of everything in the New Testament is 33%. So remember last week I told you you'd have to get scissors out and cut out your Old Testament and then cut out a whole one-third of your New Testament and see what's left. And all you'd have left is two-thirds of the New Testament that are in shreds because they don't make any connection. We don't understand it. They make no sense. So we just need to understand that it is one book. And the reason that I'm bringing this to you is because there are some today who are trying to say that all we need is the New Testament. And we can, re- we can remove the Old Testament. We don't need it. We don't need to read it. It's not relevant today. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. And I hope you'll see that by the end of this lesson today as well. And so we're faced with some of these different doctrines, these winds and waves of doctrine that the apostles warned us about. And we need to know the truth. And so the truth is the entire Bible is one book with one author, the Holy Spirit, and it is about one central figure, and that is Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, last week we also saw, I want to take it a little bit deeper. Last week we talked about the difference of being under the law versus under grace. And we talked about what it does mean and what it does not mean. It is not a greasy, loose living thing. I call that the gospel of Greece, not the gospel of grace. If you want to know what the grace of God is, Titus 2, 11 through 15 tells you exactly what the definition of grace is. And it teaches us that grace is a teaching grace. It says there that the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present age now. So you can't 
cut holiness and holy righteous living out of the New Testament church. It's all connected and it's all there. So we have to understand that grace is not about this loosey-goosey, you can do anything you want to do. But it is a wonderful thing that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. We saw that and we talked about that last week. We saw that the entire Old Testament points to or shows us Jesus Christ. In fact, the Hebrew word Torah, which they use to refer to the five books of Moses, that Hebrew word Torah that they use for the law literally means instruction or direction to point to. And we saw how Paul said in the New Testament that the Old Testament law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. A tutor, when he used that word, is somebody that takes us to school. So the tutor was taking us to school and teaching us what? About Jesus. See, it's all in there. We just haven't always understood the connection. So we see that the Old Testament, all the pieces needed to complete the picture of Jesus are in the box we call the Old Testament. And they are later revealed in the New. The Old Testament truly is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament truly is the Old Testament revealed. That's not just an old saying I grew up hearing. There's truth in that, very strong truth in that. So, last week when we stopped, I want to pick up from there, and I want to read Galatians chapter 4. We're going to start there this morning. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardian and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So here, what I want you to understand is Jesus became the last man to have to live under the bondage and the curse of the law. And we see that later on. I believe it's in the same book where it talked about how he redeemed us from the curse of the law because it, it was written, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And he took the curse of the law on our behalf. But in order to do that, he had to fulfill it in every point. He had to be perfect and sinless to be the sacrifice that was acceptable to God once for all on our behalf. So Paul makes clear, as we saw even in some of the verses we read last week, that Christ is the end of the law, or he is the one that has fulfilled it, summed it up, and has taken care of that. Okay, on us. It's in order to completely satisfy its demands and free us from its curse and its bondage. And the whole book of Galatians deals with that whole matter. So after Christ, nobody else has to ever be under the curse of the law. 
I just want to share this one example with you because I have been drawn to explore the Jewish roots of our faith, and I love digging into that because there's so much revelation there. But when I first got into that, there was a pull that I felt. There was a literal spiritual pull that I felt. And sad to say, some Gentile believers are succumbing to that pull to get under the law. Paul deals with that in Galatians also. And he tells them, he says, no, you've been set free in Christ. Don't allow yourself to go back under those things. We are not required to keep all of those demands in the law. And the Lord had to show me that. And he showed me that through the New Testament, through Paul's writings, where Paul talked about, you let no man judge you in festivals or in new moons or in feasts or in days or in any of those things. So I can freely worship on Sunday morning. I don't have to go to Sabbath on, on Saturdays. I can. I can enjoy being with my Messianic Jewish friends. And I can do it freely. But I don't have to. I'm not under any of those obligations. Christ has set me free. And I praise God for that. So we need to understand the difference. Okay? So after Christ, no one else has to be under that law. But... What the church has done is we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And so sometimes we've decided to just ignore all of that. And the rich treasures that are there, we have neglected and we have missed so much. And so we need to understand what the truth is about all of this. Being under the law would be confined to keep and obey the 613 commandments that are contained there. With condemnation and guilt when we don't. But there's no real atonement to take care of our sins ever in that. If there had been, Paul tells us, there would have been no need for Jesus to come and to die on the cross. If there was anything in the Old Testament that could have saved us and atoned for us, that's not what it's about. There was nothing back there that could erase our guilt forever. So we are not, the law is not the basis of our salvation. Being under grace is the basis of our salvation. Grace is a free gift of God that we've been granted through faith in Jesus Christ. And in Christ, he has washed away not only our sin. Oh, this is one of the beautiful things that I discovered in some of the teachings that I've done on Wednesday nights. And it's become so precious to me. Not only does Jesus erase our sins, he erases the guilt and the shame of them. He erases the condemnation of those things. And we are free. We are free. That's why Paul could write, after Paul had been standing, taking the coats of those that were stoning Stephen and had been considered a murderer and a persecutor of the church. And yet later, Paul wrote and said, I have a clean conscience before God. Why? Because he had experienced not only Christ's forgiveness of his sins, but also of his shame and of his condemnation, and of his guilt. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I got a lot of scriptures, and I'm hoping I'll have time to get through them, but let's get going. Whew. Okay, in Romans chapter 5, 
I want to read verses 1 through 5, and then I want to read verses 16 through 18. In, verse, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. And then in verse 16, it says this, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which comes from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one's man, one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all, resulting in justification of life. We are free. We are not under the law. We are being led by the Spirit of God, and we are free. So this brings me to the same question Paul faced at the end of Romans chapter 5. And that question is, if we're not under the law and we're under grace, does that mean we just live any way we want to? Continue in sin, do whatever we want, because grace covers it all. Paul picks up that argument in Romans chapter 6, and there's a bunch of scriptures I'd love to read, but I'm just going to read a few. In Romans 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, he says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. That's the strongest negative word in the Greek alphabet, in the Greek vocabulary. He means absolutely, positively, no way, no how. Absolutely not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We died with Christ. We are dead to sin's power as a master in our lives and we rose with Christ to newness of life there's a new in our life now there's a freshness that was not there before according to 2 Corinthians 5:17 we are new creations the old is gone and the new has come being a new person in Christ, we now have a choice. We are not slaves to sin anymore. We now have a choice 
We can choose not to let sin be a master to us. Christ freed us from sin's power in our lives. We still have to face the presence of sin in our daily walk, but we are freed from its power as a master over us. Sin has no permission to be my master, and I love that. We are free to be new, and we are free to be free. Everything in the Old Testament was our tutor to bring us to Jesus, to know him, to experience him. And I believe that's, the, that's where the Lord has taken this church. I know he's been taking me and my classes into this. We want to experience Jesus. We want to know him. We want to know him intimately. And that's what a relationship with Jesus is all about. I don't want any religion. I want Jesus. I want the relationship with the Lord Jesus. So the Old Testament, we found out, is all about Jesus. And I can go through a list, book by book, and give you some examples. But we don't have time for that. But how do we rightly divide the Old Testament? And this is the point I want you to understand. So that you understand how they connect the Old Testament and the New does this mean, when we rightly divide the Old Testament, that we don't need it anymore? Or that it has no value and no relevance to the New Testament believer? Absolutely not. But how do we understand how they are connected? That's where the cross is the filter comes in. Now, what I did, I apologize to you for my squiggly lines. <laughs> I, I found that image, made that image up. And then tried to draw with the mouse lines, and they became kind of squiggly. So I apologize. Artist, I am not. <laughs> Many of you could have done a much better job at that than I did. But my point is this. There are some things that come to the cross and stop there. Because they are fulfilled there. They don't carry into application to our lives today. There are other things from the Old Testament, however, many of them, that come through the cross into the New Testament and still apply today. So the cross is the filter. Now, I'm going to get into some examples of what I'm talking about in just a minute. So you understand how to understand the Old Testament and the New, how to rightly divide it, and how to apply it to your life. Okay? But first, let's talk about what a filter is. Okay? All right? In the olden days, we used to have these flour sifters. I can remember. I remember Mama, and she had this wooden bowl, and we made homemade biscuits now. This is the kind where, you know, you sifted out the flour and you got it real nice and fine and then you made this nice big well in it. Vivian, you remember what I'm talking about. This nice big well in it and you poured your milk in there and then you had to get your hands all nasty and dirty because you got your hands in there and you started mixing that thing. I remember that thing. But we used a flour sifter. Why? We were trying to sift out the impurities so that what came through was pure flour. The purpose of the sifter was to trap the impurities and the things that should not get through and to allow only the finest of the flour to come through. 
Same thing, same kind of principle with an HVAC filter that you change on your air conditioning units or whatever. Same principle. It traps the dust and it lets the clean air come through. That's its whole purpose. I want you to consider the cross in the same way. It's keeping back from us or filtering out the Old Testament portions that don't come to us. In other words, the curse of having to obey all 613. They're filtered out at the cross. They don't come through to us. The rules and regulations that we would never have been able to keep in order to get saved. Paul tells us, turn with me to, if you have your Bibles, to Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, I want to read verses 11 through 15 to you. He says this in Colossians 2. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross." having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So Christ took away those things that were stirring, that were blaring in our face, that we couldn't meet, and that were keeping us from fellowship with God because nothing in the Old Testament could save us. It was pointing to the one who could save us, and his name is Jesus so here we see that what comes through is our forgiveness of sins. And what comes through is the fact that we're free from the guilt and shame and the handwriting or requirements of what was contrary to us. So, let's see the good things that came through in that passage. We also now have, we talked about freedom of our sins and from guilt and shame. We also have the freedom to live a new life. We're not under the slave master of sin anymore. We have freedom to choose, and we are given grace by God to be able to live for the Lord. He also tells us in other places in the New Testament how his law, the living law, the law of love, the law that says that the greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, spirit, and body. And what else? To love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summed it up in two things. That living law, he writes in our hearts. He doesn't hold it as something over us. He writes it in our hearts. How beautiful is that? So, let's consider these white lines on here. There are so many examples. I could spend tons of time on this, but I'm going to have to just give you a few. Let's talk about some of these. What are some examples of the ones that come to the cross and stop there versus the ones that come to the cross and keep on going, meaning they still apply to us today. They're still pertinent for us today. And how can we understand that? First of all, 
In the Old Testament, you read about all kinds of blood sacrifices, animals that had to be slain all over the place. There were lambs and bulls and goats and different things that they had to kill for all kinds of different offerings and reasons, for sin and for guilt and for other things. The principle that that was trying to portray was that the innocent dies on behalf or in the stead of the guilty. That's what that whole thing was about. It was showing that an innocent thing dies in place of the guilty. What happened on the cross? The innocent lamb. John the Baptist looked at him, pointed at him, pointed at him, and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you see what I'm saying? That lamb came, that perfect lamb, that sinless lamb came, and he died for guilty sinners like you and I and has washed away our sins. He has erased them, and he has erased the guilt and the shame of those. So Jesus fulfilled that. That's why from Christ's death on, we don't have to sacrifice any more animals. As a matter of fact, it's an abomination to God to do it. Because then we have just crucified again Christ. We have rejected his sacrifice on our behalf in doing that. So there are no more sacrifices. The one true one that, has, that needed to come has come. And he died on that cross. So that's an example of what stopped at the cross. However, let's consider some other things. What about the Ten Commandments? Let's take a few. Do not steal. Did it stop at the cross or does it still apply today? According to Ephesians 4.28, Paul writes this in Ephesians 4.28. He says, let me find it. He says, let him who stole steal no longer. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands, what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. So this is New Testament, right? This is Paul affirming what was in the Old Testament, what God commanded. So that's an example. That's one. Still applies to us today. Paul said, you still ain't supposed to steal. It's still wrong. It's still relevant. It's still applicable. You don't do that. What about this one? Not having any other gods other than the one true God. Okay, let's look at one that Jesus affirmed. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Let's begin in verse 8. The devil is tempting Jesus. He says again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I'll give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you for it is written. Where? In the Old Testament. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So Jesus attests 
that the worship and service of God and God alone is still relevant. It still applies to the church today. What about not committing adultery? What about not having a murderous heart, hating people, murdering people in our hearts? Galatians 5, 16 through 21 lists for us works of the flesh, and among those are adultery and other things, hatred and wrath, those kinds of things. They still apply today. That proves they came through the cross. What about not coveting? Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 6 through 8, Paul writes and he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Meaning, we don't covet other people's things. We don't covet. It still applies to the church today. What about from the wisdom literatures? That, those were things from the Torah, from the law. What about from the wisdom writers, like David? Okay, for instance... In Psalm 22, in Psalm 22, verses 14 through 18, it reads this. For I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And we'll stop there for right now. But what that's telling us is what? That stopped at the cross. Why? Because it was fulfilled there to the letter. As a matter of fact, if you understand this from a Jewish perspective, when Christ <coughs> quoted the very first verse of that psalm from the cross, it was different than we interpret it today in the Gentile church. Because what he was trying to do was to point their attention to the whole of that psalm and to show them this psalm in its entirety is being fulfilled before your eyes. That is why he quoted that. It's known in Jewish tradition, they understand that. If you quote the beginning, the first verse of a psalm, it takes you and it refers to the whole of the psalm. So what Christ was trying to do was to show them, hello, look, remember Psalm 22? Look, did it say they're going to pierce my hands and my feet? Guess what? They did. Did it say you can count all my bones? Guess what? You can count them. Did it say that they're going to divide my garments? Guess what? What are the soldiers doing? He was trying to direct them to the fact that that psalm was being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. So that's an example of one that would stop. Psalm 118 also would stop at the cross. And in that one, it says in verse uh, 17 and 18 of Psalm 118, it says, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Christ is referring here to his resurrection, the fact that he will not die and be corrupted like a normal physical body is 
thrown into corruption. And that's what he means when he says this. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to the corruption of death. Christ had to experience death once for all to remove its sting, but he was not given over to the corruption of it. So that's one that applies. Let's look at Psalm 66, verses 1 through 4. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your word, your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Did that one stop? No. Comes through. What David is saying here is let us praise the Lord. He's saying we sing to God. We praise God, and that applies to the New Testament also. It comes through the cross. So even the wisdom writers have examples of that. Same thing with the prophets. Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5, and I'm going to have to wrap it up. It says this, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Precious, precious promise. Fulfilled at the cross, but still through the healing and the work that he did to justify us comes through the cross as well. Last one I'll mention from the prophets is in Malachi chapter 3. And then we'll wrap this up. Malachi chapter 3. In verses, let's read verse 10. It says this, Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. That's one that some people want to say today still doesn't apply, that it's an Old Testament principle, the principle of tithing. Okay? Does it still apply today? Well... According to the authority himself, it does. Because he said in Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 through 24. Let me find it. He says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These, speaking of the former, paying tithes of the mint and those other things, paying tithes, you should have done without leaving the others undone. So here we have Christ himself attesting to the fact that tithing is another example of what was demanded in the old but comes through the cross and is still relevant and still applies to the church today. 
The last one I had written down was Joel chapter 2, and I'm not going to read it, but we know it well. It was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, where it was prophesied that the Spirit of God would pour out. And that one still applies today, because Peter made it clear that that promise was still to all, as many as the Lord our God will call. And listen, God is still calling people today, praise God. So it still applies to us. It is still relevant. So I want you to understand how to read, understand, and apply the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And I believe maybe this image can help you remember that, that the cross is the filter. There are things that come up to the cross, stop there because Jesus fulfilled them. They were all about him. But there's plenty of other things that are still applicable to the church today. They come through today. So hopefully God bless you and God will help you to use that and to understand how to take the whole of Scripture and rightly divide it. Father, bless your word. Bless the service that will ensue in just a moment. May your presence be evident here and may you be free, Lord. May you be welcomed here in this house. May your name be praised and may you have your way and bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.